I'm sitting here with Tommy Keen, and I have some Hebrews questions for him. So, Tommy, you are a Hebrews expert, Hebrews scholar. Yeah, I, I prefer scholar. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And no, so, there's no such thing as a Hebrews expert. All right. Well, I thought you were an expert on like half a verse. Hebrews eight two B is. I'm an expert on that verse. Yes. Okay. Great. Great. D do you know anything else about Hebrews? I know some other things. Okay. Yeah. So you must know who wrote Hebrews because that's the most important <laughs> question when it comes to the book of Hebrews, right? That is. That is the most. Well, actually. <laughs> I wrote a whole article on how that's not the most important question. Where's our article? I haven't seen it. Well, you know, I got to publish it. But um, yeah, it is It is the kind of defining question, right? It's the question that when anybody hears about Hebrews or hears that you've studied Hebrews or wants to study Hebrews themselves, it's kind of like the first question out of the doc is like, who, who wrote it? Because it's the great, it's the great mystery It's uh, in the New Testament. Uh, it's one of those fun, kind of mysterious questions about which we can only speculate, and the speculation is endless on uh, on the topic. So even from from the very first publication date of Hebrews, it seems to be a question that circulates around it. Wow. Um, but okay, so give me some uh, context here. So did we at some point recently start um, questioning? whether someone who we already know in, in in the New Testament wrote Hebrews or has it always been the case that we've not known the author? It's it's always been the case that we've not known the author and it's always sort of bothered the church because it's a book, even if you open almost any English translation, you're, you're going to see the letter to the Hebrews. Some of them it's going to say the letter of Paul to the Hebrews. I was looking at a translation, a modern translation, the other day, and it was called the letter, uh, the letter of Paul to the Hebrews, and that title seems to go back uh, very early. Hmm. And because Hebrews is a letter, or it's assumed to be a letter, you have this question of authorship. That that's something that you want to know about letters: is who wrote this, and to whom did they write it? Um, it it has a particular importance in the modern era. You know, as soon as we hit the Enlightenment and we start thinking about truth as historically important, that that history and reading the uh, the Bible historically is a function of the hermeneutical process. That just we just have to see the historical context in which these things were written. The authorship of Hebrews takes on kind of a heightened importance. We need to know who wrote it, when they wrote it, why they wrote it, to whom did they write it, and for what purpose. All, all of those things are just good special introduction questions that we have for other letters. And when we come to Hebrews, of course, there is nothing. We don't have any indication of who wrote it. And unlike the Johannine epistles, which church history has always ascribed to John, Hebrews, there has always been some question about who wrote it. Mm -hmm. So then what are some implications for us? Do we take it as God's word? Why do we take it as God's word if we don't know the author? Um, why is it in our, our Bibles then? If, if it's so important to know the, the, the author, why doesn't it, doesn't it apply in this? Well, I'd actually case? argue that it's 
it's not actually important to know the author, that it's written in some level of abstraction from authorial intent uh, or from authorial ascription, and that that's part of its that's part of its purpose and function. Um, but obviously, many have found or, or think that the author is important. Um, in our own modern hermeneutical environment, the author is important as evidence for reconstructing the historical situation within which the epistle arises. In the ancient world, and for many evangelicals, authorship is important because, precisely as you put it, Timo, that is this God's word? And if it's some just some random dude somewhere that wrote it, it seems like, okay, do we really want to... <laughs> and, and there's some problematic mm-hmm. passages. There's some really challenging passages in Hebrews. Um, and if it's just some guy somewhere, why uh, do I want to really give it the weight of divine authority? Um, so early on, the way the church, the earliest church kind of resolved this, there were always questions circulating about the authorship of Hebrews, but it gets bundled with Paul's letters. Uh, interestingly, it often gets bundled at the end of Paul's letters, um, mm-hmm. which is which is really interesting because the, these early bundles that we have of Paul's letters go in order. You know, why? How do we get the letters of Paul the order that we get them in? Well, we get them in the order that we get them in because it's roughly length: longest ones first, shortest ones last. And then you get what's interesting about these bundles of fourteen. Uh, where Hebrews is included, is it gets bundled at the end, which is mm-hmm. which is interesting, right? It, it seems like even for the there, there's an implied Pauline ascription of authorship in the bundling, and yet there's still this kind of like, well, why is it at the end? Why isn't it not at the beginning? Given that it's longer, well, maybe there are still some questions, even from kind of the Pauline, uh, uh, th- those who would ascribe Hebrews to Paul about its its authenticity as a Pauline uh, letter. There's also a huge uh, component of the early church that has serious reservations for assigning it to Paul. And in the modern era, I think we can be pretty definitive uh, that it is that it is not Pauline. There's a lot of good arguments for it not being Pauline. There's some good arguments for it being Pauline uh, as well. So I, I don't want to just dismiss it. Uh, but to to my mind, you know, style, uh, theological uh, vocabulary, uh, th- um, the the language of the tabernacle and temple instead of uh, a lot of language about the Holy Spirit, all of those are, I think, good evidence against Pauline authorship. But to me, the nail in the coffin is um, is Hebrews two, uh, Hebrews two three, where the author says the this message, this gospel was declared at first by the Lord. It was attested to by those who heard, and God also bore witness by signs um, and wonders and miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit. That uh, it was attested to us by those who heard. The author seems to point to describe himself, group himself among this this group of us who heard the gospel from eyewitnesses the the us there is a kind of a second generation christian mm-hmm. rather than that founding generation of apostles and prophets and i cannot imagine the paul who wrote galatians 2 or 1 corinthians 15 describing himself that way as a second generation as a christian he received it from the lord all right so that settles it so well, I don't know if it settles it, but it's okay. def- it, it settles well, it for me. I'm I I yeah. am at cognitive rest on this. Great, 
but we could say that Calvin was wrong about this one thing. That this is the this would that... be the only thing that I would on 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 air say that Paul, Calvin is wrong about. Yes, and also Servetus. Yeah. Okay. So two okay. things that two Calvin things, was, was two wrong things. On. Sure. Okay. Great. Great. Thank you. Yeah. But don't you want to know who wrote no, it? No, no, I don't want to write it. No. Okay, so who wrote okay. it? The other, the, the second most popular option is Luke. Um, uh, and there's some arguments for that. You can find those uh, in, in lots of different sources. Uh, there, The list of possibilities is of who wrote Hebrews is long. Apollos is often suggested. Uh, Priscilla is uh is suggested there's a lot of there's a lot of arguments and they're fun and speculative uh kinds of historical engagements that that we can have on there but what i would like us to do is consider why it's anonymous we we actually appropriate anonymous literature differently pseudonymous literature and anonymous literature we appropriate that differently a lot has been done in new testament research on pseudonymous literature but not as much has been done on anonymous literature. And that's really in, it's a really interesting hole in scholarship because a, surprisingly, a surprising amount of our Bible is, from a literary perspective, anonymous. You know, we think about the Old Testament historical books. We ascribe them to Moses, and I think that that ascription is good. Jesus ascribes them to Moses, and that's good enough for me. So we ascribe uh, the the Torah to Moses, but from a literary perspective, Moses does not say, "Hey, I Moses am writing this book." You know, it, it it's written in abstraction from the author. Um, many of the Old Testament historical books are uh, written that way. The prophetic books, authorship matters more, and it it the author is signing their name, and so we get author authorial ascriptions in the prophetic books. But when we get to the Gospels. Again, we find actually the pattern of these Old Testament historiographies is followed. Though Matthew and Luke and John uh, are the um, traditional authors of those books, and I think that those authorial, authorial descriptions are uh, accurate, and somebody like Gathercole has argued that they're probably these titles, the gospel according to Matthew, probably go back to the original. So I think that there's... There's that component there that we have this authorial background, and yet in the text, no author is mentioned. And that's that's odd, especially like somebody like Luke. Um, Luke ha has an introduction. He introduces himself. He introduces his work. He dedicates it to Theophilus, but never mentions his name. Why not? It's the perfect spot. And we look at Greek histories of the day. The authors can't help but mention their name. They drop their names all the time. They can't stop talking about themselves. Josephus is always talking about himself. Um, but Luke doesn't. The author disappears into the background. And I think that that's part of the process. That's part of what the author is doing is fronting the tradition, fronting that which we have received in the narrative, in the book, and his own personality disappearing then into the backdrop. Read Hebrews with that perspective. Not as a letter that's addressing a particular audience and particular problems, but as a sermon, it's described that way in 1322, a sermon to a broad audience, and really the author doesn't matter. It's the message, it's the word, and this goes back to your idea of should we read it as the word of God. 
absolutely, because the language that Hebrews uses is constantly, God is saying to you, Hebrews, Hebrews 3, God spoke. God, God is speaking to us in the psalm. He is speaking to us in his word. He, he, is, he is speaking to us now in his son. This contemporaneous, this immediacy of God speaking to his people in the word of God is at the forefront of the theme of the book. Read it as a sermon to the people of God as God's word to them to persevere in the wilderness. I think that better appropriates the meaning of the book. You don't need the author to get at that. And actually the absence of the author makes the whole book feel more urgent, more contemporaneous, more direct, directly the word of God. My only question that is like, so then what makes the book to be adopted into the canon if it's not necessarily authorship? I mean, the you know, the, the yeah, the particular author. Yeah. It's, it's the content. Is it that the church, I don't know, the church adopted it as like, this is, this is the stuff that we believe. Yeah. Our, yeah. There, there are, the catechism is, and, and confession is, is pretty it, it's walking a tight line here mm-hmm. um on the one hand all of those things like authorship date the beauty of the literature the the content mm-hmm. all of those things the catechism says are good evidences to us secondary evidences to us mm-hmm. but the scripture is self-authenticating it's right. self-attesting okay so our theology is covered but my personal like, okay, but yeah, it would be really nice if it was yeah. apostolic, right? That's still, that would just kind of clench it for us all. Well, maybe, I mean, there are letters of Paul that we know exist that are uh, right. that that are not included in the canon. Mm-hmm. There are words, we know for a fact that Jesus said things that are inspired that are non-canonical. So we need to distinguish between authorship and canonical status. Um mm you know, as a, as a preliminary principle. The second, there are books that we receive into our, our canon uh, that are written by secondary Christians. Luke is an example. And I think one of, I think Luke as a second, a second generation Christian who's in Paul's orbit uh, and clearly a partner with Paul. I think that's part of the attraction to seeing him as an author mm-hmm. here of Hebrews as well. We've already made this exception for mm-hmm. Luke, so it's just, you know, we don't have to make another exception for Luke. Um, I'm not as persuaded as some, but uh, but in any case, what on what grounds do we make an exception for Hebrews? Well, first of all, we should see Hebrews as broadly speaking apostolic. We could mean apostolic in the kind of narrow sense of written by an apostle, but that and and that's a good and valid thing to category to have but that's the the new testament uses apostolic in a broader sense too as kind of within the purview of or realm of apostles and prophets and we have some evidence that that hebrews is apostolic in that sense uh, the hebrews doesn't begin like a letter um, and it's not a letter i think we should see it more as a sermon but it has a kind of like post it note at the end like a a a, a letter like kind of tack on at the end, which mentions Timothy and which indicates perhaps that the author of Hebrews was similarly in Paul's, perhaps in Paul's orbit. I, we don't have enough to be definitive about that, 
but it is an indicator that it's apostolic in the broader sense. It comes out of the apostolic period. Uh, and so, I, and I would, yeah, it's, so it has been received by the church. So it meets the a lot of the criteria there that we, the secondary criteria that's, that is mentioned by the confessional standards. Um, and ultimately, God's word testifies to itself that it's God's word. Amen. Tommy, you are an expert. Sorry, uh, Dr. Keen. <clears throat> are we doing Dr. Keen's? Are we doing that? Okay, let's just do Tommy. Okay, that's better. <laughs>